0: Well, we are looking at the great comebacks of the Bible, and uh, last week we looked at a very familiar story to uh, all of us, and that is the prodigal son story. And um, and uh, there was one who understood what it meant to come back and experience, and encounter the grace of God, but uh, the older brother, he missed the message and uh, was not truly part of the father's family. And uh, you might question, well, wasn't the older son, wasn't was he saved? You have to go back and you have to read Luke chapter 15 and and see who that story was addressed to. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were very disturbed that, that uh, Jesus was hanging out with sinners. But sinners were attracted to Jesus. Yeah, you know, they were grumbling. Why is he spending so much time with lost people? And he went back and he told three parables. Jesus did, and the third parable was the parable of uh, the prodigal son. And uh, and so when he was talking about that older son, that son not wanting to come in and celebrate his younger brother having to come back home, uh, that was that was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were just in this work really hard to earn gains, God's approval, that we deserve these these, these, uh, these blessings from the Father. And all the blessings that come from the Father is purely based on the grace of God. It's not our personal efforts. And that's what separates Christianity from all the other religions of the world. It's because of the grace of God. And, great, and God's grace is amazing. I'm not sure if I mentioned this last week. We discussed it in, in our uh, small group last week. But it was this statement that is at the top of your outline this morning. Your past doesn't define your future. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at an amazing example of a person whose past doesn't or did not divine, uh, uh, define his uh, his future. Uh, an amazing transformation uh, took place in the Apostle Paul's life, and uh, and. The, and, and this is a comeback this is a story that can take place in all of our lives and if a comeback is going to occur in your personal life the first thing that needs to happen is Jesus needs to become personal in your life because uh, when Jesus becomes personal the the um, the the barriers begin to shrink. The obstacles that we have between us and Jesus or us and Christianity begin to shrink when Jesus becomes personal. Now, let me illustrate that for a second. Um, when you were single, okay? When you were single, you thought to yourself, you know, you had all these uh, obstacles to becoming married. You were thinking to yourself, and they were all justified, uh, obstacles in your life. You were thinking to yourself, man, I like my freedom. Why would I want to give up my, the freedom I, as, that I have as a single person? And so this was, this was a big obstacle, okay, from, from you getting married or maybe it was you know why should i why would i want to share my money with anyone else you know and your obstacle was financial you know that uh, or you couldn't afford to get married you were at a stage of life that was difficult and you couldn't fathom the thought of marrying somebody else and providing for for somebody else or maybe you had an obstacle of um uh you know man if i'm Marry somebody, that means I am committing myself to them for the rest of my life. This is a forever, uh, this is a forever decision. And I can't see myself making that kind of of decision. Or maybe you grew up and you had some negative experiences of others. Uh, who had been married, or you had some negative experiences personally. And so you have all these obstacles that's keeping you or justifying you from making that kind of commitment. But then, he or she shows up in your life. You know, and then suddenly, all those obstacles... That decision that uh, we're not wanting to make, it begins to shrink when that person comes into your life. And uh, all those things that you held on to, that you were proud of, that you were convicted by, those obstacles begin to shrink when you begin to fall in love. And... They're not as big as they used to be. Oh, they may still be there, but they're certainly not as big as they once were as you're considering this monumental decision that you're making. Think about children for a second. You know, I could, I could, I could, I could come up with a list of reasons why you don't want to have more than two children as in your married life. Okay, number one, it's expensive. Uh, number two, you know as a husband and wife, you can kind of tag team this if as long as you just have two children you know it 's pretty good one on one and you can handle two children um, three comes into the mix, and then you gotta start playing more of a zone you know someone 's going to be kind of left out occasionally. And, uh, boy, three children, that's going to be a whole lot more uh, money to care for three children. But then, fathom the thought of four children. I mean, how are you going to parent four children? You know, when Susan and I were pregnant with, well, Susan was pregnant with Emily. <laughs> But uh, I had sympathy pains for her, and I was gaining weight along with her. Um, someone told us, you know, well, caring for four children is just as easy as caring for three children. You know, and I believe that. But when we had Emily, that was a lie. You know, I found myself always counting heads to make sure we had all four for kids uh, in our in our uh, in our, our in our eyesight. But um, but you know, you think of having four children, you can think of all the obstacles of why you don't want to have four children. But then you have number four, and Emily came along. And you know what? That that um, that obstacle of all the reasons not having four children, when Emily came into our family, all those obstacles shrank because it became personal. And we brought Emily home from the, the hospital. I think we have a picture of that. There's our family in front of our house with number four. And what a blessing she has been. And it has never been an issue when she came on the scene because she was personal. She was our daughter. And, uh, I, I remember the phone call we received. We were, we were expecting and the doctor's office called and the doctor told me That we were having a girl. I learned that before Susan did. (laughs) I got to tell her. But, uh, you know, all those fears shrunk down when Emily became personal. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. For a comeback, to occur uh, in your life, Jesus is going to have to become personal. We're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul this morning. His name uh, was both Saul and Paul. Uh, Some people are under the impression that when Saul became a Christian, a follower of Christ, that Jesus changed his name. And uh, that's not the case at all. Uh, Saul had... Saul had two names, Saul and Paul. Saul was his Jewish name. And uh, and being a Pharisee and uh, working among the Jews, uh, Saul went by his Jewish name. But he also was a citizen of Rome. He inherited this from his father. And so the name Paul is a Latin name. And, uh, and this is what he used as a Roman citizen. But, but he had two names. And, uh, before he came to Christ, he was going by the name Saul primarily because he was working with the Jews primarily. But, uh, Paul had some huge obstacles in his life, uh, in keeping him from becoming a Christian. Do you have some obstacles in your life that's keeping you from making that decision for Christ? I heard the testimony of um, of a man this week who uh, had given his life to the Lord about four years ago, and uh, and he had some real obstacles growing up uh, as as a young boy. His mother had been married six times, and. Uh, <clears throat> The, the last relationship that she was in, um, his stepfather, his sixth dad, was a very abusive man, but claimed to know Christ. And uh, whenever this young man this young boy would get in trouble, his stepdad would whip him, and he would quote the Bible and saying Spare the rod, spoil the child. And he didn't want his boy to be spoiled. And whenever that young man came home from school with either F's or U's on his uh, report card, uh, he would be physically abused by his dad. Uh, one day when he was 12 years old, he came home with, from school with straight F's and straight U's. And he knew that he was going to get the whooping of his life. And he did. And when he went back to school the next day, he he knew that this was going to be his ticket uh, out of his home. And it was. When uh, school authorities saw what uh, had happened uh, on his body physically, uh, he was removed from the home, never to live with his mom or that abusive stepdad dad again. He only saw his mom one more time. And uh, this was uh, in his early 20s, and she was dying of cancer. And he was notified, and he was able to go to the hospital and uh, tell his mother one last time that he loved her before she passed away. But Christianity was a huge Obstacle in his life because of this abusive stepfather. He saw Christians, he saw Christianity, or or people who claimed to be followers of Christ, as harsh, or or cruel, or strict, or exacting. This was his, this was his concept, his picture of what Christianity was like. But then. Later on in his life, late 40s, early 50s, he grew up to be a successful businessman. Uh, he was, he had the largest, uh, he was the largest west coast distributor of pornography, uh, here, uh, in California. There was other, one other large dis- distribution center that was on the East Coast. And between the West Coast and the East Coast, these were the largest in the world. He was highly successful. He had all the money, uh, that, the, that could buy whatever he wanted to. And he spent foolishly, he spent lavishly. But nothing would ever fill his tank. And his life was shipwrecked. And someone who was a Christian who knew him said, you know what? You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And he had nowhere else to turn. He had all these obstacles. But he decided to run to Jesus. And Jesus became personal to him for the very first time. And in Jesus becoming personal, all these obstacles that he had erected in his mind shrank. And he was able to cross that threshold of faith. Jesus wants to be personal in your life. He wants to be your shepherd. And I don't know what's been transpiring in your life. I I don't know if you've gone through a series of rejections or whatever in your life. But God understands. And He wants to take you right where you are and be personal. Be that shepherd. I've got a video I want to share with you right now. Uh, How many grew up on a farm? Just a couple of us. So you'll understand the message of this, this video. For most of us we haven't. But there are some great stories in nature. I want you to hear um, uh this story uh from the farm. Go ahead, Stephen, let's turn off the lights. This morning we
1: had a beautiful new set of twins you see right here behind me. This is their mom. They're both together little boy and the little girl. But I want you to notice something. Uh, See what Mama's doing right there? Somehow this morning, before I got here, Mama got separated from this little girl. Mm -hmm. And now Mama has decided to reject that little girl. So that means, guess what? The shepherd gets to take his little lamb home and raise it. Which is going to make my little son Truett really happy because he wanted to bottle raise a lamb. But I saw a lesson in this and I want to share it with you. Sometimes in our life, Someone who's really important to us, who means a lot to us, who we think our survival depends upon that person. They reject us. They, re- they turn their back on us, and they leave us alone. They won't let us have the milk that we think we need. They won't feed us. They won't groom us. They won't even clean us off. This little lamb is nasty. She's been born for half a day, and her mama hasn't cleaned her off. And as you see, she's butting her, and now she's afraid of her. And oftentimes we wonder, why did that person who was so important to me, did they leave me? Why did they abandon me? Why are they hurting me? Why are they rejecting me? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's because the shepherd wants to pick you up and take you home, clean you up and feed you himself. And in that way, you will form an intimate, close relationship with the shepherd. I've got a lamb right now that we started bottle feeding last year. He's now a year old, a big ram. He's like a big puppy dog. I come in the field, he runs to me. He loves me. He wants to be with me. My daughter who did most of the feeding, man, he is excited when she shows up. So I'm looking forward to raising this little girl right here because I know when I get done, she'll run to me. She'll love me. She'll stick with me no matter what. So maybe it's just that when someone's left you or abandoned you that you think life is terrible. Maybe it's just because the shepherd wants to pick you up and spend some intimate time with you. Hey, that's a lesson for you today. I hope you have a great one. We'll
0: see you soon. Uh, isn't that a great message? You know, Jesus wants to be intimate with you. He wants to pick you up. He wants to be the care- shepherd that cares for you. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Paul. And he was kind of like that mama in that video. Uh, Paul was harsh. Paul was, uh, mean. Uh, Paul wanted nothing to do with Christianity. I mean, he, he hated Jesus. He hated Christians and for what they represented. But, uh, but, but God transformed, uh, Paul's life. And so let's look at, uh, Paul's resume for just a brief period of time this morning of what, what Paul was like before Christ. Uh, the first thing we learn about Paul from Scripture is that Paul was a very religious person. Look at Philippians chapter 3 this morning. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. If you don't, it's in your outline this morning. This is what Paul says um, about who he was before Christ. so as to the so as to righteousness under the law blameless Saul is saying that he was a religious he was a highly religious person how many would describe uh their their um relationship with the lord as blameless you know in christ we are blameless but uh, we know the things that we still Um, stumble at but here Paul is he's saying that before he came to Christ he was the Pharisee of Pharisees I mean he tried to live by the letter of the law that no one could blame him for the way he lived his life for God but he was thinking that by being good, by keeping the law that he was going to be righteous, he was going to be affirmed that God would think highly of him because of how spiritual, how religious he was but in paul 's encounter with Jesus on the Damascus road, uh, paul Jesus confronts Saul. And Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he goes on to say, listen, Acts 26, verse 14, it is is it it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, a goad was a, a very sharp object that farmers would use to uh, prod oxen, to keep animals the animal moving forward and sometimes that oxen he would get he would get angry at that sharp o- object and he would kick against it well jesus was paul's goad and as paul was persecuting christians and running christians out of uh jerusalem and threatening uh, uh christians elsewhere across palestine Jesus knew that in Paul's heart, he was kicking against the goad. And he asked the question, it is hard for you to kick against the goad. The more the Lord goaded Saul, the more Saul fought against it. But we see in, in verses 4-6 through six of Philippians 3, that Saul was a highly religious person. Now think about religion for a second. You can be very sincere about what you believe, whatever religion it is. But it doesn't mean that you're right. And there are a lot of people in the world today who sincerely believe what they believe. But they're as lost as the hills. No one was more sincere than Paul was when it came to Judaism. And yet Paul was miserable. Paul was lost. He was religious. But he was lost. Not only was Paul religious, but we see that Paul was rebellious. Like I said a moment ago, Paul hated christians he he hated what they stood for and he would never in his in his imagination want to become like them in acts chapter 26 you know it's interesting that paul talks about his uh his uh, relationship with the lord his transformation in three different passages of scripture in the book of acts paul's testimony of coming to christ um i think is really important to um the evidence for the resurrection of christ you know we we see the uh the story of the resurrection in the gospels but one of the things that convinces me most that jesus rose from the dead is the transformation of the apostle paul because Paul gave up everything. He was the Pharisee of... He was, he was at the top of his game in Judaism. And when he came to Christ, he gave all that up to follow Christ. And it cost him his life. That, to me, speaks volumes that Jesus is alive today. But look at Paul's testimony in Acts chapter 26. This is what he says in verses 9 through 11. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This was the heartbeat of Paul. We think of uh, how evil ISIS is today uh, against Uh, other people who don't believe just like they do. This was Paul in the New Testament in the first century. He hated Christians and he wanted to eradicate, he wanted to exterminate Christianity. But something happened on the road to Damascus as he was going to intimidate and bring Christians back to Jerusalem, he was confronted by the person of Jesus Christ. He was confronted by Jesus personally. And again, this is all the grace of God. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. Paul didn't believe in Jesus Paul was very familiar with Jesus. Paul and Jesus were probably around the same age. Pro- Paul probably witnessed some of the miracles, some of the teachings that Jesus was doing publicly before his, his crucifixion and resurrection. And on going down that road to Damascus, he's confronted by Jesus spiritually, and Jesus asks the question, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What do you mean, Jesus? Who, who are you in the first place?" And Jesus said, "I am. I am who you are persecuting." Paul wasn't going to Damascus to persecute Jesus. Jesus has ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus isn't around. It's not about you, Jesus. It's about your followers, people of the way. And Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Think about that for a moment. This is how closely Jesus identifies himself with the local church. The local church is the body of Christ. Saul was persecuting Christians. And Jesus says, no, you are persecuting me. Jesus is becoming personal with Paul. And if there's going to be a comeback that occurs in your life, like it did in Paul's. Jesus has to become personal. That doesn't mean that the obstacles are going to go away. There's always going to be obstacles in your life when it comes to Christianity. But when Jesus is personal, those obstacles shrink because your shepherd holds you. Nobody saw this coming. Think of the Christians who were in Damascus. Do you think that they were praying for Saul's salvation? Probably not. They, they were in fear. And they were praying for God's protection in their life. But you know what? Jesus saw past all the issues surrounding Saul. Jesus saw all the possibilities of what Saul could mean to the kingdom. Which brings us to point number three. Even though Saul was religious and he was rebellious, Saul was reachable. God knew that Saul could be reached for the cause of Christ. And Jesus saw all the potential in Saul's life. Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is becoming personal to Saul. It's about me, Saul. And the Bible says that Saul was blinded. And was told to go into the city of Damascus. And he stayed there three days. Blind. Couldn't go anywhere. I'm sure that there was a whole lot of contemplation going on in Saul's spirit at that time. The Bible says that uh, Jesus came to a man named Ananias. And told Ananias to go to Saul and to pray over Saul. Ananias knows who Saul is. He knows his reputation. He's not thinking that God has, is transforming Saul's life. And Ananias, you want me to do what? He's not aware of the possibilities, the transformation that can occur. And God tells Ananias, go and pray over Saul, because he's going to be my spokesman for the Gentile world. And so Ananias comes to Saul and says, Brother, the Spirit of Lord has sent me to you to pray over you. Jesus is becoming personal in Saul's life. It's a huge comeback story it's an amazing transformation and this is what happens in people's lives when Jesus becomes personal I don't know your background I don't know the obstacles in your life that are keeping you from crossing that threshold of faith but I want you to know this morning that it's only Jesus that can change your life, and your past, the things that have occurred in your past, they don't have to define your future. I talked about that gentleman who uh, had all these obstacle, obstacles because of a because of a harsh stepfather, and what he re- represented as a Christian. You know, he, he this gentleman ran to Christ. And God transformed his life. If you go to Mission Church in Ventura today, you will find him in the lobby greeting people, looking for people that he has invited to, in the community to come to church with him. His life is transformed because of the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus can transform your life as well. And He's the only person who can change things. There's no other name over, under heaven or earth whereby you can be saved. It's only Jesus. If you go to Florence, Italy, Go to one of the museums. There's a, a museum in Florence, Italy, that has statues of uh, that have been created of Michelangelo. There are four uh, statues in one location that are incomplete. Um, he was Michelangelo was uh, appointed to um, build, uh, create these uh, statues for for one of the popes, Pope Julius's tomb. But uh, that project kind of uh, went away. And so Michelangelo never completed these sculptures. But if you were to f- see these sculptures that are in that um, museum today, each of these sculptures looks like there's there's a body that's trying to come out of that huge piece of st- stone. And you'll find various body parts, and but it looks like those bodies are still entombed. They're still trapped. Um, And that's the picture of the Christian life. Before we come to Christ, before our lives are transformed, the Apostle Paul, his life was entombed. It was enslaved. But when Jesus met him, On the road to Damascus. When Paul gave his heart and his life and his faith to Jesus Christ. He was set free. Because he had met the risen Savior. Jesus had become personal. Jesus wants to become personal to you. When he does, you have objections, you have obstacles, you have other people in your mind thinking to yourself, I don't want to be like them. That was Paul with other Christians at the time. But all those things shrunk when Jesus became personal. would you let Him become personal to you this morning? He's here. And He, and only He, can change your life. Let's pray. Lord, Your Word says, in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace have we been saved, through faith and it's not ourselves it's a gift from you it's not by what we do because we have nothing to boast about Paul understood that grace because he wasn't looking for it He didn't deserve it. He was living at his absolute worst. But Jesus saw all the potential. My friend, God sees all your potential this morning. He wants there to be a great comeback occur in your life it's only going to happen by the grace of God. Quit kicking against the goad. Whatever you're pursuing, you know it's not working. It's not filling your tank. It's not fulfilling your life. Only Jesus set the captive free Father I know you want to be personal to each and every one of us if there's one here this morning who's struggling to cross that threshold of faith God become personal to them may they allow you to become personal and may you shrink the obstacles and may they know that they need you and may they run to you this morning that they might be cared for by the shepherd. if I'm describing you this morning if I've been praying for you this morning would you give your heart and life to Jesus ask Him to forgive you of your sin He already knows your sin He wants you to confess this is acknowledging your need your dependence on Him He's there ready to forgive Transform your life just like he transformed the Apostle Paul's. Give him your life. Would you all stand with me, please? We're going to sing this song, Corner.